Morning, Tim. Morning. How's it going? Good. I haven't talked to you in a while. Indeed. Jeez, Tim knows everybody. Of course. It's because I have a new job every six months. Oh, okay. It's more like everybody <laughs> knows Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Tim Caswell. Hello. We also have Joe Eames. Howdy. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We also have a special guest, and that's Aria... Hidayat? Is that how you say yes. it? Yes. Yes, uh, that's that's me. Hi, everyone. Do you want to introduce yourself for us since you haven't yes. been on the show before? So, uh, my name is Arya. I work at uh, Sencha and uh, I also create uh, some open source projects and one of them is PhantomJS. Awesome. So uh, do you want to explain a little bit about what PhantomJS is for the people that aren't familiar with it? Sure. So PhantomJS is essentially an implementation of WebKit, but it's uh, sort of headless, which means uh, nothing goes to the screen. So you drive it completely from the command line, and uh, it has uh, an API that you can control through either JavaScript or CoffeeScript. So one of the typical examples is you create a web page, and then you load a certain URL, and then you render it as an image. And you can do that with, like, I don't know, six lines of code, and uh, 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 write in a script, and then run it with PhantomJS. Awesome. So what, what goes into building something like this? I know WebKit is open source. Mm-hmm. There are several components that is being used by uh, Phantom Jazz. First, WebKit itself is is like like the name says, it's a kit. So it has all this uh, abstraction about network stack, uh, graphic stack, and then everything else. Uh, what I use for Phantom Jazz is something called the Qt WebKit. Oh, it's obviously called Qt. This is the application framework from Nokia, uh, and the reason I use that is because uh, I'm biased. In the past, I used to work for the Nokia slash Trolltech, so uh-huh. I know that uh, framework a little bit. And uh, one of the nice thing about uh, Qt WebKit is we can totally run it in a headless mode because it has this uh, some sort of window abstraction implementation where everything goes to the uh, memory buffer instead of the actual screen on, on your monitor. So that's that's why I choose that. Um, so most of the code inside WebKit itself is pretty much platform independent, and we just have a specific implementation for, say, network stack. Because the way you do networks uh, request and response on Linux is certainly different than Windows, and slightly different as well on Mac. So that's that's some, uh, one of the example where the implementation differs for every platform. Huh, and that, that's interesting. So uh, before we get into how people are using this, maybe to test their applications, are people um, are people using it for things other than testing? Most of the use case is about testing. Uh, there are cases where people want to use Phantom just to uh, get information of websites or web pages, to be more precise, uh, because it handles JavaScript, right? So if, if you create a completely AJAX-based apps, then you just can't use a simple HTTP client such as curl, because then it won't you know, uh, get all the dynamic stuff uh, which is executed by JavaScript. Or you really can't use uh, an emulation implementation like Jazz DOM because that that is not a real uh, 
rendering engine, right? It's, it's emulated to certain extents, but in some cases it may fail. Right. So AJ just joined the call. Just uh, give him a chance to say hello. Hello. All right. So um, with testing, you can use this with Jasmine or with um, QUnit. Um, did you design it with one of those in mind or did you just put it out there so that people could pick it up and, and implement it in their test suites? So those two runners are just the examples. Apparently, as uh, I'm aware right now, almost every JavaScript testing framework has some sort of support for PhantomJS, uh, either commercial, uh, either uh, officially or not. So the, uh, the way it happens is because... Basically, you pretend there's a browser. So if, if you if you create a test framework, usually there's a URL or, or, a, or a script file that you load in a browser, and then it tells you everything about uh, how the script runs. And you just implement that uh, in Phantom just very easily because you just instantiate the web page and then go to that URL, and then you just sort of uh, try to figure out the the outcome of the, the testing. So the, the last part is usually the slightly more difficult part because every Test framework uh, has different ways to report the, the the result of the test. Right. So sometimes it's a matter of figuring out the selector that's being used to display the text, and then you extract it and then get the you know inner text or inner HTML out of the, uh, the elements. So you basically have an access to the the JavaScript context directly. Uh, yes and no, because uh, the you need to sort of evaluate. Uh, a string in the web page context. Okay. But can, so it's yeah, but yeah, you, you can totally pass an argument or get the result and then go back to uh, the main context. That's cool. Yeah. It's done. What? It's done uh, that way because of uh, security. Because then uh, any web page will never ever know that it's actually running inside Phantom JS. Right. That's a good idea. One use case that I had, the company I worked at before I was at Sencha, we were constantly needing to make screenshots of web pages. Can you get access to the frame buffer as well? Yes, uh, yes. you can uh, capture the web page. You can even specify the zoom factor or the clip regions, and you can save it as a file or produce the DES64 version of the, the image. And uh, some, some websites actually use this as a way to generate uh, automatic screenshots. For example, Media Query. Uh, use Phantom Jazz because uh, basically the goal of the site is to capture your web page in different screen resolution. Right? So something that is small, which resembles the uh, probably mobile web browser, and something that's quite big uh, for the desktop. So it will show you how your page behaves. If you have a responsive design, obviously things looks okay. Otherwise, things can get really. <laughs> Uh, mess up there. So, so that's um, interesting. With responsive design, um, is there a way to set the resolution or the resolution that it perceives that it has? Yes, you can. Uh, you can play with different viewport, and uh, the, and of course, when you capture the entire page, you can choose to capture uh, the, the the whole page as opposed to the visible window. So, if you if you have a web browser, this is different between the, the view that you see in the window and the actual the entire web page itself. So, if if your page is extremely long. And you see it on, a, say, a mobile browser. What you see is only portion of the page, so you can choose to capture either that only or you know the entire page. Does it also output vector format or just the bitmap in the frame buffer? The supported vectors format is PDF. Okay, so you can make a PDF from a web page as well. Yes, that's cool. There's a commercial service 
like URL to PNG and uh, the way it works is basically the same. So you, you can totally build a screenshot web page screenshot service using PhantomJS. In fact, there are at least four examples of doing that uh, for with uh, with many different frameworks from from Node.js to Play framework. Because uh, you need some sort of uh, front-end code that drives Phantom to load the page and then uh, create the screenshots, as well as some you know, uh, bookkeeping stuff in case the page loads forever or uh, it doesn't work. Cool. So you started this when you were at Censure, right? I started it a long time ago uh, when I was with Nokia. And okay, one of so the before reasons, that, okay. Yes, one of the reasons, but I never get the, the time to clean up and, and publish it. So one of the use cases I had in mind was back when I was still very active working on WebKit. I want to test different functionality, but I don't want to create a C++ program. <laughs> That I need to compile every single time and then and then play with it. So uh, then I just you know uh, take the uh, important classes like the web page abstraction and then uh, provide an API so that I can control it from my script. And that was the early prototype of Phantom JS. Okay, so you weren't testing web pages; you were testing WebKit itself. Yeah, I want to play with different. You know, what if I disable image loading? What if I disable script loading? What happens and and, and things like that. Cool. Oh, interesting. Well, I think we can all appreciate where it's gone from there. So do you have to have a web server up and running in order to test things with PhantomJS? No, you can work from a file system. And if you disable web security, uh, you can still have uh, XSR access uh, or cross-site uh, access, and that should work well. Okay. How much how much of HTML or HTML5 does it support? I mean, it's basically just latest Qt WebKit. Pretty much. So it's probably not up to uh, Safari 6 or Chrome 21 yet, but that's something that is in our to-do to, you know, try to catch up with the uh, latest version of WebKit. So do you find yourself contributing back to Qt WebKit a lot? These days, not anymore. Uh, because we just use whatever gets implemented there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenge, challenging part is uh, that we don't support, for example, CSS 3D because that requires implementation of compositing and uh, compo- uh, performance implication of doing compositing in software makes me think that I rather not support it uh, than having uh, CSS 3D that performs extremely slow because we we, we, we are completely headless right so we don't have the luxury of using say OpenGL on Mac or, or Direct 3D on Windows so you can't do off screen GL to a frame buffer it has to be to the screen yes there's a uh, a workaround for that we can use for example Mesa but that's a that's a huge of effort and then that's not something that I want to undertake right now. Okay. Right. So is is Phantom JS all written in C++ then or it's written in C++ with some of the uh, for example the model system is is implemented in JavaScript. So one of the nice features in the next upcoming version is you can use pretty pretty standard common JS slash Node.js model uh, in your script. Uh, so, yeah, it gets more and more like Node.js. Huh. So, did you have to implement your own um, your own JavaScript engine or using uh, parts and pieces from, um, from WebKit and then just, you know, bolting on the API that you want? Right. So, WebKit has already a built-in JavaScript engine called JavaScript Core, and we just use that. And then we hook uh, additional API. Huh. That, that sounds really, really handy. Indeed. As I, as I told you before, the this works out because I started as a way to test various uh, bits and pieces of WebKit. 
So, so one of the nice thing about Phantom Jazz, uh, sorry, is that it's really easy to install on uh, Mac and Windows. It's just one executable. You don't need anything else. And on Linux, for the next upcoming version, we will also have the same uh, static build features. So it it's almost zero dependency. So you're just distributing binaries. You're not compiling on the system. The problem with compiling is because it has thousands of WebKit files. Usually it takes... 30 minutes, even with four parallel jobs. And that's something that uh, not everyone is eager to do. Okay. So if I wanted to like add headless testing to my node app that has heavy Ajax, I could just depend on some NPM module that has a binary phantom in it? There's already a phantom node, which uh, basically bridge Node.js script uh, with phantom.js. So you can control phantom.js from your node script. Okay. So I'm wondering, is there anybody, um, to go back to a, an alternate use case, is there anybody you're aware that's using like it seems like if you ever needed a case where you wanted to capture HTML that was produced um, and store it for offline use that PhantomJS would be perfect for that if, if the HTML is being produced by JavaScript so there was a report uh, of somebody doing that and the reason is because sometimes you want to serve uh, those HTML to you know, search engines right because otherwise the search engine can't really get uh, to know what you display on your website if, if you if you're completely ajax based right yeah that's always been an issue if you're doing SEO that you have to have everything you want the um, the SEO bot to, to see in your static HTML otherwise exactly. it, it didn't happen and you you don't want to, you know, have two different codes for doing that. Yeah, that that's just a hassle to write a bunch of code that nobody's going to see except for this spot. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I think most of the search engines will, would probably penalize you for it if they found out that that's what you were doing. Even if the information was accurate, you know, they, they want to see what the user's going to see. So. so how tough is it as a WebKit comes out with new versions for you guys to adapt PhantomJS to those newer versions? It will be not trivial, but I will not call it difficult as well. So the challenge is just, you know, compiling it takes ages. So if I, if I uh, screw up something, then I'll know it like in 30 minutes as opposed to just five minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's tough so have you guys updated to um is, is web is webkit revved um very much recently have you guys had to go through that process uh, <coughs> excuse me we plan to do that for the next version, which is, by the way, scheduled for September. So I'm in the process of doing that, and it doesn't seem to be quite difficult. The challenge is, besides long compile time, is also testing, because web, web technologies is very complicated. WebKit itself has around 20,000 layout tests, and uh, of course, this is accumulated over almost 10 years, so it's, it's huge. And uh, right now, we just don't have enough volunteers to do a lot of, uh, you know, corner cases and edge cases testing. Right. So if somebody wanted to get involved in PhantomJS, uh, what what kind of programmer are you looking for? Well, any type. So we, if, if you know C++, then you can definitely help from, uh, from the implementation sites. If you are uh, web developers, you can help testing it, especially on Windows, because we have uh, a lot of demanding Windows users, but very few people uh, tests our Windows binaries, and and that's just uh, sometimes not good. Do you have a test suite around PhantomJS, or do you count on people using it and then reporting bugs? Uh, both. We have 
unitas, but it doesn't really test uh, a lot of stuff. So it's it's mainly testing the Phantom as interface or API. Yeah. yeah, but the you know if if I want to know whether every SVG out there is rendered correctly, that's that's hard to do. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> so one of the problems that I've run into recently with uh, Phantom JS. Um, I was testing using ja- Jasmine and wanted to use the uh, jQuery Jasmine plugin in order to get uh, fixtures in my project. And I was running the page just, this is on Windows, just off the hard drive, right? And so the security context is different. We were running in Chrome, and as we'd load this HTML page and it'd go out and try to grab the um, jQuery Jasmine uh, fixtures off the drive, I was getting a cross-site um, security exception, and I had to go into Chrome and set something specifically in there in order for that to work. Uh, I had to go change a setting in, inside of Chrome, one of the one of Chrome settings. Well, in Phantom, I couldn't figure out, I couldn't discover any way to make the same change um, so that the security would work in Phantom, so that when I was running under CI, that it would it would work. Are you? Is, does that make any sense? And is there a solution for that? Uh, there's the web security command line flags as well as the web page settings. Usually that solves the problem. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, there's a general problem with file access where you can't really go to uh, to something that is uh, not under your directory. So you can go deep down, but you cannot go go up further. Right, right. But so you can totally... The- yeah, you can totally pull from the network if you enable the, say, web security or something in your subdirectory. So if I'm trying to solve that problem, is it easier for me if I just organize my files that they're in my uh, parcel, um, my fixtures that they're in subdirectories rather than exactly. in sister directories? Siblings? Exactly. Okay, that's good to know. So so in this case, it seems to me that uh, this kind of handles things from the the full view of your web application as opposed to, you know, things like unit tests and stuff. Yes, that's true. Uh, unit tests can be used with Phantom JS as well. well uh, for example, I have this example where I create a git pre-commit hook that launches Phantom JS with my test, and this serves as a quick smoke test so mm-hmm. that I know I don't screw up things. And uh, because it's really fast and it doesn't show anything to the screen, it's really not uh, you know, disrupting my workflow. So when I do a git commit, it's just doing something behind my back for two seconds, and then if something is wrong, then my commit is completely blocked. So combining uh, fast smoke testing with git pre-commit hook is something that I highly recommend. Do you have an example of that somewhere in a git github gist or something? I think I show it in some conference, but you're right. I haven't made any you know blog posts or documentation about that. Okay. I can do that. Yeah, that would be really cool just, just to see it and maybe be able to steal it instead of try and write it myself. Right. Another thing is if you use uh, Travis CI, which is pretty cool. It has a built-in Phantom JS, so you can totally run your tests every time you push to the uh, uh, remote origin or your repository. So if you have a GitHub project and you have a web application there, you already have Jasmine or QUnit or whatever, uh, you can use a simple Travis uh, interface to automatically test your application every time you push to your GitHub repo. Yeah, Travis CI is really cool. It's free for um, open source projects and I think they're working on a commercial version. I don't know exactly. if they've released it yet, but yeah, they spoke at uh, RailsConf in Austin this year and, and their whole their whole uh, infrastructure is really kind of interesting. But yeah, it's cool to know that they have that built in so that you can you can test things, test things from top to bottom. Right. Some projects uh, already take advantage of that. For example, uh, Modernizer and Ember Jazz. So it has uh, some hooks uh, 
to run Phantom Jazz with the unit test. Yep. So you say it's fast, but I mean, you're spawning up a whole WebKit. What is the, the CPU wait time and the memory use of a Phantom instance? So I never measure it. So the the fast here refers to versus uh, if you are about to emulate everything from DOM, JavaScript, and CSS. Does so it's definitely sense? so it's faster CPU wise than going through JS DOM, for example. Yes, and it's more faithful because it's you know real DOM parser, real DOM implementation, real CSS implementation. Okay, and like if I just had like a very simple test that just ran my page and closed, what's the overhead of Phantom? Like two seconds maybe on a modern machine? Oh, it's way faster than that. Okay, so it's really, really fast. Yes. Awesome. So so conceivably I could add this in with the test suite for my my unit test for my front end and my back end and then, you know, just have this run, you know, alongside it and, and do all of the integration tests for me. Right. And it wouldn't add that much uh, time to my test suite running. It's very little. Yeah, I've used it a lot and I haven't noticed it, it practically. It seems like it has no overhead my unit tests take way longer to run you know any difference between the time of this test suite running all by itself actually it's a lot longer to run my test suite in a real live browser than in phantom js so the there's a slightly slight overhead like a couple of hundred milliseconds but that's because on windows and mac we compress the executable with the with the upx which is the self compressed execution and just to reduce the size, uh, and and that's adds I don't know 100 milliseconds, which is pretty much negligible. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So that that's the trick why Phantom Jazz is very small. So on Windows it's about like seven megabytes, and Mac is ten megs tops. How, how big would it be without that compression? Uh, three times. So that's why it's w- really worth doing it. Mm. Wow. That's why if you do brew install Phantom Jazz, you'll be done in like <laughs> less than five minutes. So I've had a couple of situations where. Um, like when I was putting together my uh, runner page for Jasmine, I had to go and grab the uh, the runner page uh, out of your sample. But there, I know there's a tons of unit frame, uh, unit testing frameworks out there, and they're propping up all the time. And so, it, you know, I'm sure that these ones they're hard to find uh, the uh, somebody else that's already written one. Or if maybe you need some change, is it easy to uh, get like actual support, like send in a support ticket, say, hey, I'm having some trouble getting Phantom JS to run with this uh, particular unit testing framework or under these circumstances and get some support? Um, well, to be honest, I haven't heard of someone requested that yet. So that's probably a good thing. <laughs> well, I know that it took me more than a couple of minutes to get Jasmine hooked up, but it was a lot of it was finding just the right uh, Jasmine unit runner. Right, right. I, I do realize that we have a uh, you know, problem with documentation, mainly because, you know, there's not enough people who want to volunteer to write docs. So uh, one of the items on my already very long to-do list is to write, if you have this new test framework, this is how you create a runner for that. And and basically a concept for a runner as opposed to a real runner. Right. And, and uh, I just want to point out that... Um there's a there's a fellow out there. I'm trying to remember his name, and and I'm, I'll probably remember it here in a minute. But um, he he does a lot of, of talking about like mentorship and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the good ways of getting in on mentorship. So if you wanted to work with Aria, um, one good way of getting in and doing that is uh, what he calls sweeping the dojo, which is 
you know, you're not qualified to actually, you know, maybe write a ton of code and you just kind of want to get your foot in the door and get familiar with the project and things, then then things like writing documentation and maintaining the wiki and, uh, you know, helping verify bug reports and things like that that aren't the, the heavy lifting things are also really helpful for project owners like, like Aria and a good way to get involved. Yeah, that's that's good to know. <laughs> we really need that. Yeah, it's Dave Hoover over at, uh, I think he's at Groupon now. Uh, is there anybody that's actually on the uh, PhantomJS project uh, watching uh, Stack Overflow questions that are tagged with PhantomJS? Well, I do that from time to time. And uh, seems that before I try to answer it, somebody usually already answer some of those questions. So that's good. The beauty of Stack Overflow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, that's, that's the purpose, right? Yeah. Lots of people have the answer. Sometimes they have the wrong one. Well, what's the great thing about Phantom JS is once you get it hooked up, then you just never have to touch it again. Once you get it configured, then it's just there and it's working and your CI just goes on. Yeah. So um, what what testing framework do you prefer for JavaScript, Arya? For Phantom JS, we use Jasmine. It's just because uh, somebody that implemented the first unit test, he was familiar with Jasmine. Right. So the way the way it works in Phantom JS is very typical like many other open source projects. If you want to do something, then make it happen, and it's up to you how to make it happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it wasn't the first, then yeah, it was Jasmine. But I use QUnit as well, and I like it. And Buster Jazz has been my favorite lately, uh, just because just like Jazz Test Driver and Yeti, you can you know just connect to web server and then it captures all the web browsers. Works well as well with Phantom JS, obviously. Nice. So are there any features uh, upcoming in future versions of Phantom JS that you want to talk about? So the next one is 1.7. It has a modal system and modal system it, meaning yes, common JS, not JS modal. Okay. So you can require something. And uh, can't remember. There are some features necessary for uh, the implementation of WebDriver. So there's a sister project called GhostDriver, which is basically a WebDriver implementation using PhantomJS. And uh, it requires some additional features, such as being able to open a window and then access it, and then uh, switch from one frame to another, and, and that kind of features. And uh, static uh, static build for Linux, so hopefully you can have just you know 10 megabyte executable file that you can drop into your CI box and, and hopefully it runs. And uh, finger crossed, uh, we should be able to have a much modern version of WebKit. Cool. So another uh, typical thing of Phantom Jazz uh, is that it has a uh, time-based uh, releases, so four times a year, w- which I call seasonal uh, release schedule because it releases every season. The last one was definitely summer. So the next one will be for uh, fall. Oh, that's that's interesting. It seems like a lot of open source projects um, they either follow a schedule like that, or they they just release you know when they have whatever what feature set they want mm-hmm. finished. Is there a reason you went that way instead of? So that's something that I have wanted to do for a long time, and when I just started Phantom Gas, I saw the opportunity to make it happen, and everyone seems to like. It. Nice. And the code code name for the release is always after flowers. Oh. So if it's if it's a release. In summer, then it's uh, it has a summer flower name. Interesting. And here I thought two flower was from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have suggestions for the code name for the next release, then I'll appreciate that. Yeah, we'll find some foul-smelling flower or something. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be good. <laughs> uh, say, sago lily. There's a suggestion. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's a nice name. Yeah, it's the isn't it the state flower for the state of Utah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I I'm I'm trying to think of more questions, but I I don't know if I have any. 
I can can I just say that Phantom JS is awesome? Yes, you can. And uh... you know what's what's really crazy about it is I know that there are um, there's Buster and Test Driver JS that uh, allow capture for the uh, other browsers, which is a very valuable thing, obviously. But f- my experience has been that um, testing in multiple browsers is really not necessary. If I find problems in other browsers with my code, it's really not stuff that is unit test related. It's more typically visual related. I know that there are differences in implementations in the JavaScript engines, but by and large, it, you know, things that work in WebKit work elsewhere in the other browsers. So it just seems to me like this is such a significantly important piece of bringing test-driven development and unit testing into the JavaScript world that it's, you know, without PhantomJS, we'd be years behind where we're at right now. Well, to be fair, web developers these days already know how to write uh, more or less cross-browser uh, code, right? So it's different than, than uh, a few years ago. So that really helps. Uh, there's a lastly last chance that you make a, a browser-specific uh, problems, and therefore, as long as you can test it quickly, then, then you're good. I always view testing as uh, multiple layers of uh, tests. So you need to have a quick test first, and then you need to have a comprehensive, probably you know, 20 browser comp- uh, coverage test. And we can see that uh, as we do coding itself, right? The, the first test is usually test to code even uh, pass JSLIN or JSLIN or any other uh, uh, linter. So that's that's some sort of early test and then you try to execute it and then does it make sense? Is it valid? And then it goes on and on. So it's really layers of onions. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Joe, do you want to explain how your um, how you approach using Phantom JS? Well, so again, like I said before, one of the beautiful things about Phantom JS is once it gets hooked up, it's done. So uh, in every in every case where uh, I've used Phantom JS, I've used it both with QUnit and with Jasmine. Uh, in both cases, it works slick. I did mention the one problem that I had with using uh, Jasmine jQuery. But all I do is uh, I get my tests running in the browser locally. And once my tests are running, I go over to CI. I have to go. PhantomJS has included the two uh, files that are necessary for both QUnit and for Jasmine in order to run. And they have, uh, um, I, th- I think I've gotten the documentation online that basically just says, you know, you're going to want to call PhantomJS, the executable, and then the first parameter, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm going from memory, is the unit runner or the, the test runner file that comes included with PhantomJS. And then the second parameter is the HTML file that you want to run. And all I have to do is figure out in my CI how to make that call with, you know, tell it what the exe is and then what the command line parameters are, set it up. And then the last piece of the puzzle that you have to figure out is, in your HTML file, usually you have to include um, another file that will listen to all the events from the unit testing framework. So in QUnit, uh, QUnit comes with this file. With Jasmine, I had to look it up online. And anyway, what it does is it listens to all the events and then it can output to the console using just console.log typically um, the, a, a, a message formatted specific to your CI so that was you, and then Phantom JS's output goes to the CI's reading all the console output from Phantom JS, mm-hmm. and it sees those messages in those certain formats, and that tells your CI system whether or not the tests passed, how many of them there were, and then your CI system can include it in, um, you know, the other test runners that you might have. So if you have server side test runners for your, like if you're using JUnit for 
Java, um, it'll merge the two together and just give you one big report and say, you know, say you had a thousand Java, Java tests and you had a hundred uh, JavaScript tests. It'll tell you you had eleven hundred tests and they all passed, or some of these ones failed. And it's, so it's a, it's it is a little bit of a, a work uh, on the front end. A lot of it's just finding people that have set up example files and getting their files and and putting them in the right place. So with QUnit with Jasmine, because they're so popular, it's very easy to go out and find those mm-hmm. files that'll get cool. the output correct. And, and, and which which CI are you using? So I've always used TeamCity, um, but uh, it's a great product. I know that it's the, the process is identical in Jenkins. Yep. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say you can execute mm-hmm. from the command line on Jenkins too. Yeah, I, I can't imagine there's a CI system out there that doesn't support that yeah. model. Um, so many unit test runners don't in a, don't already have runners that are integrated within the CI system. Uh, TeamCity does have test runners specific to .NET, and I think it has JUnit and things like that. So it, it doesn't need command line versions of those, but um, they all support them as far as I know. Any CI system worth its salt would. Right. Yep, that's pretty much the typical workflow if you want to use uh, Phantom JS on any CI system. Yeah. Okay. It's one of those things you only do when you set up your CI. So the next time you go and you set up your CI, you're like, oh, okay, where did I find this file and how did I get it and stuff? Right. It would be, it, I think one nice thing would, would be is if there was an easier, easy place, like somebody set up a website that, you know, tried to collect the files that are necessary um, and keep them up to date because you get a, if you happen to have an older version of Phantom, um, right, right. And then you get a, you got to ma- marry the version of QUnit that you're using and grab the files out of there. And um, that would be nice if somebody if put that information together. I kind of feel a little bit like a detective got to get online and go find the right QUnit uh, file that adjusts the output. So, um, but once you find those three things and put them together, um, it, it just all works and it's great. Sounds like a perfect idea for a boilerplate project, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like Phantom, Jasmine, TeamCity, boilerplate. Exactly. Exactly. And for a client side, not from CI, at least there's already, for example, Grun and Yeoman that will or will have support for Phantom Jazz, so you don't need to do extra stuff, which is nice. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, if the if we don't have anything else to talk about, let's go ahead and do the picks. Did we warn you about picks, Aria? Yes, I read your emails. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I, I used to forget, and so now I always ask the guests, "Did I tell you about <laughs> picks?" Yeah, they're like, "Oh, well, I'll come up with something real fast." All right, cool. Um, AJ, why don't you start us off? Uh, so my pick is people that take learning into their own hands. I think I already picked that once, but. Um, there's this guy, I think he's a BYU student, not sure. He sent us his resume once, and, and so I've got this thing to post in the show notes. His name is Sterling DeMille, and he created a thumbnail viewer with PhantomJS, and I thought that that was way cool, and I just love it when people have little projects that they do and they show off to the world how cool they are. Um, and another pick, I've picked this before too, but I'm going to pick it again, which is the transistor. Uh, down in, in just south of Center Street in Provo. They're actually doing a class on Node.js this Saturday, and there's a bunch of cool guys down there. They're mostly hardware guys, um, but so they work with like Arduino and Raspberry Pi and, and that kind of building stuff. Um, yeah, they're kind of a co-working space for that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that too, because it's like 40 bucks a month, and you can stay there all day if you want. I think most of the guys have normal day jobs, but then in the evenings, they come and work on their projects and hack together. Yep. Cool. Um, Joe, what are your picks? So my uh, first pick is not available for most people until uh, tomorrow, and that would be the new movie Total Recall coming out. Uh, I'm super excited for that one. Joe, I hate to break it to you, but that movie was released in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Oh, my gosh. I've been missing it all this time. They're they're scamming you, man. (laughs) See you at the party, Richter. (laughs) Do you recognize that? I haven't actually seen it. Oh, you haven't? Oh, that's a classic Arnold Schwarzenegger line. All right. Uh, So that's my first pick is Total Recall. Uh, My second pick is a classic old ancient book called Test Driven Development by Example by Kent Beck. Uh, Really the original Bible on doing test driven development. And if you haven't gotten that book and read through it, it's fantastic. My one complaint is he makes some kind of funny justifications for cleaning up code by calling them duplicated that I didn't necessarily agree with. I would have, if I were to rewrite the book, I would just say, I'm cleaning up code to make it better, not to remove, just just remove duplication. But it is an amazing book and a great way to learn test-driven development. If you are interested in test-driven development, it's a, it's a great book. All right, cool. Um, Tim, have we heard your picks? Yeah, so I've been really having fun with the Smith Library at work, so I'm going to pick that. It's a it's an RPC system that I built for internal use, but it turns out to be generally very useful. And I'm going to add Travis and Phantom unit tests to it if possible. I just need to make sure that the HTML engine in, in Phantom is new enough. Right. But I've, I've really enjoyed using the library, and... I think it's fun. Okay, cool. So um, I should have some picks. Um, I spent the last couple of days working on some releases for some clients. And by releases, I mean betas and uh, kind of wound up rushing to get stuff done. So I'm trying to remember what all I've worked with so that I can pick it. Um, I mean, one pick, and I, I we've talked about it before, and it's just something that I, I've really found handy for a lot of things, especially in the case where I'm doing a lot of like evented um, stuff that I want in my in my web page where I want it to do some Ajax work or uh, do some updating based on some uh, data that I have stored somewhere. Um, I use Backbone.js and it has made my life immensely easier um, than just going with the vanilla jQuery stuff. So um, really, really enjoy that. Um, I don't really think I have any other picks at this moment. So, um, Aria, what are your picks? My first is uh, Mockingjay. I tried to finish the entire Hunter Games uh, books and it's been fantastic so far. I like reading books. And the second one is uh, the programming programming environment from Google. It's called Dart. I'm sure everyone uh, heard about it. I think it's a, it's a fantastic language. And I think in many cases, uh, Google got it right with respect to the uh, DX, something developer experience. So a lot of people talk about UX, but we need to emphasize more about DX. The entire SDK, the editor, it has all the fancy autocomplete and doc- integrated docs and so on. It's just fantastic. It's, it's very nice to, to work with. Okay. All right. Those are uh, my picks. Chuck, since you only took one pick, can I have your second pick? Go ahead. I also want to pick the Olympics. Ooh. Very yeah. Topical. I was sitting down at lunch the other day, and they had fencing on. Oh, man. It was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I've I've really been enjoying the swimming and stuff. So. I I thought the uh, table tennis is surprisingly interesting, as is the badminton. Oh, really? Yeah, those are surprisingly interesting. But by far the best part of the Olympics, at least for me, is watching the U.S. Uh, women's soccer team just kick everybody else's butt. <laughs> and I, I heard somewhere that you know, for the if the U.S. ever wanted to get back at all those countries that really hate us. What we should do is get really good at soccer and beat them at the only thing they care about. <laughs> and our women are doing just exactly that. So nice. All right. Well, um, we'll get links to all of the um, all of the picks that we had in the show notes. Um, looks like Tim has one more question. We'll let him ask it on the air, and then we'll wrap up. Hey, Tim. Okay, I'll ask it for him. He he just typed it in the chat. He says, "Does Phantom support data view and web sockets with array buffer messages?" Oh. So WebSockets is uh, yes. I don't know about that if your array buffer seems like that's that's too bleeding edge for Phantom Jest right now. So you might want to wait like a couple of months. Okay. Alrighty. Cool. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, I just want to remind everybody that uh, you can go and check out Jameson's. Uh, what is it? It's a group reading the papers the, on programming, and uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And um, just, I also want to just thank Aria for coming onto the show again, or coming onto the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm definitely going to go have to dig into Phantom and figure out how to get it into um, my CI setup for my clients. If you have any feedback on how to improve phantoms so it gets better, then let me know. All right. Well, we'll we'll wrap the show. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you. Adios. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks.